0: Okay. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk. This is where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It is a podcast and I am Cindy Howes, the host of this podcast. Thanks for listening and happy 2021 to you. Oyan Mukherjee of the Massachusetts spacey folk band Darlingside grew up in Kansas with first-generation immigrant parents. Nature, music, and sports all played a big role in his formative years. He ended up studying biology at Williams College, where he met his future bandmates in Darlingside. He joined an acapella group with members of that band, and that allowed the guys to formulate their freaky harmony connection that is so well on display in the band's recordings and shows. Oyan talks about finally connecting with singing through songwriting, overcoming chronic pain in his 20s, and how friendship and humor play an important role in the band. Rhythm plays a big role in the new album Fish, Pond, Fish, and in our conversation, Oyan explains that intentionality. As per usual, nature shows up a lot in the songwriting, which is split evenly among the members of the band. He says it's like you're searching through three-fourths of foreign consciousness, bringing you to a place you couldn't imagine you're moved beyond yourself he goes on to talk about what it's like to be so close to other people's consciousness in that kind of intense environment this is a great conversation enjoy Ayan. he is a first class gem we'll take a listen to a song from darling side's new album this is green plus evergreen and then we'll get to our conversation with oyan mukerji of darling side on basic book Great, oh, Oyun, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. I wanted to ask you a question about your name. Uh-huh. Do you know the origin of your name? And I'm wondering, my name is Cindy, and when I was a kid, I did not like my name, and I like still kind of don't really love it. But how do you feel about your name, um, maybe when you were a kid and and now?
1: Yeah, um, so origin is uh, Ayun is uh, what i was told when i was growing up is that "ayan," which is anglicized in a bunch of different ways i think a y a n in sanskrit usually from from sanskrit english i was told means earth i'm an indian mutt so half bengali half punjabi my dad is bengali my mom's punjabi and the bengali pronunciation of the word "ayan" is oyan everything gets a little rounder and aw sounding in bengali there's a lot of aw sounds just roaming around the language Um, and so my parents tried to phonetically spell the Bengali pronunciation of the Sanskrit word, whether they succeeded or not is, is unclear, but A-U-Y-O-N is, is, what, I, is what I got. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City, not a huge Indian population. There is a significant Indian population, I think partially because Midwestern towns tend to be attractive to Indian uh, folks from the subcontinent. Um, or at least when, when I was growing up, it, it was when I, when I met like sort of relatives on the east and west coast, they were surprised that there was some community there, but it's, it's not huge, of course. And I went to a largely white prep school um, and that's kind of the world I inhabited. So, my name was one element of this larger Indian identity that was kind of um, something that was tricky for me. I think Th- there was no serious trauma, <laughs> um, mm. but it was just just navigating the Indian identity. Like I-, I feel like I grew up in an Indian household in that was just transplanted to the U.S. Um, as I think a lot of uh, kids of immigrants do. I was born in Virginia, but uh, my parents immigrated from from uh, from India. And, and I, I have, of my three brothers, I have the most unpronounceable name. So in addition to all of the other things that I sort of tied into my weirdness, which were being Indian, not, uh, like, ha- and therefore having a different relationship with Anglo-American culture, uh, I was also prepubescent until about, like, senior year of high school. So, it, like, there were a lot of things that contributed to that, and my name was sort of rolled into that as this strange thing. Hmm. Um, but as I grew older and started to embrace some of those things, it made me a little different, um, as I think uh, yeah, which, which is a fortunate thing. I think for some people, it can be a thing that drives them. I guess I didn't really have a choice. I went to, I went to a school, um, Williams college where, uh, I, there was a small South Asian community, but, um, I was a part of that, but also was embracing the fact that I'm, that there are a number of things that make me different, that heritage being one of them. Uh, and so that my name became something that I was happy with or psyched about, or just like that, that, that was a, uh, a link to something that grew important, that ended up being quite important to me, that, that heritage, Indian heritage. And relatively recently, like, within the last year, I was with my mom, um, picking, my older brother works at an Indian restaurant in Kansas City, and my mom and I were picking him up, and there was some celebration going, and someone asked, I, "I, my mom and I were making small talk with someone, and my mom was asked what my name meant, and she said that my name meant path in Sanskrit, and I was, like, Furious or like very confused. I was like, I this is yeah this <laughs> is not what I and I got quite upset with her, which she was um, shocked by. Wow. <laughs> and the gentleman she was speaking with was also shocked. It turns out there are a lot of different definitions to this um, to this word or different tra- translations. Uh, path sort of the Earth's path is one of them. The Earth itself, uh, but it, it's a, a one word with a lot of different meanings. It, it was kind of cool to sort of sit down with that and think of and digest it. But when it first hit me, it was a strange thing. But um, yeah, it's a thing that I think it's also there's there's an element of it that I don't fully understand, which I think is is probably a decent metaphor for my relationship with my, my heritage because there's in some ways I feel like I'm an American, in some ways I feel like I'm an Indian an Indian, and in some ways I feel like I am neither. And that's uh that's sort of a, a thing that I won't be able to fully grasp either, but but existing in that, that sort of liminal space um is something that can also be pretty cool. So it's uh yeah, it's been an evolving
0: so you grew up in kansas city kansas right there's two kansas cities yeah yeah in my
1: experience it it felt like one town um i grew up on the in in a suburb on the kansas side went to school just over state line in missouri the most noticeable difference between the cities was just which like one of them had slightly less effective snow plowing in the winter (laughs) so as soon as you cross state line you'd, you'd know that you'd cross state line kansas city like many midwestern cities does not have great public transport and Mm so it's possible that there would have been some other significant differences that that were noticed but instead it was sort of like riding around between suburb and school and whatever classes my parents decided i needed to be sort of Mm. doing in order to further my education to one day become a some sort of academic professional which clearly did not obviously that happened yeah uh yeah, it happened and then somehow here i am (laughs)
0: Um, You played sports when you were younger. What was your relationship to athleticism then, and how about now?
1: Um, uh, These are some fun questions. I (laughs) like that they have nothing to do with advanced stuff, but it relates back, uh, or most of the things do relate back in my head. I really liked playing sports. As I mentioned, I was prepubescent for quite a while. Part of that is I went to um, a Montessori school, which is a Swiss style of schooling for my first, like, elementary school years and they have a habit of moving kids up grade levels when they feel like it so i was very young for my grade oh did you um, get bumped up i got bumped up yeah by like a, I was, i'm like it was one and a half to two years younger than every other kid That's in so my smart grade i don't know that it had anything to do with intelligence i certainly was pushed to try very hard by my parents and they mm. were successful in getting me to do that for the first bit certainly I liked playing sports, but was just small and not terribly effective at any of them. Um, I ran cross-country and played tennis and liked competing and playing things, but um, was never particularly good at it. And was also just had a, a funny relationship with my body at that point, too, which is something that didn't become clear until later. But I was asthmatic and allergic to all sorts of things, so I would sort of consistently... It, it felt like very frequently, or a couple times a year, I would just sort of fall apart as a wheezing mess and need to be carted mm. off and, and dealt with. Yeah, for that reason, there was, I think, an inherent sense of fragility that I had too in my head, that I just needed to sort of like be sheltered and watch out for things mm. and stay away from um, sports that might break my tiny body, et cetera. <laughs> and then, yeah, like continued playing sports at a very mediocre level in, in college, like tried growing crew for a year, which was fun, and learned how to play squash, which was great. And then the band started pretty soon after I graduated from college. And I ended up having, um, we, we were all pretty type A about the band and making sure that it, it happened and that we put everything in we could because if we didn't succeed, whatever success meant at that point, it was unclear, but it was a, a vague, hazy idea that involved making money, playing music, and, and do, doing so for an extended period of time. Um, my, my role was booking. So I spent all my time booking and was just kind of stressing myself out constantly trying to write music and trying to play music and trying to book the band and be, on, be as on top of it as a booking agent as professional booking agents were, which of course was not the case. I also didn't have any of the contacts. So I mean, yeah. I did a decent enough job at it, but uh, but it's an exhausting thing. Uh, and that's the case, I think, with any... And
0: for very little payoff.
1: For uh, almost Sometimes <laughs> we were paying for the, the privilege. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think that that's the case with any banned any uh arts startup or any startup really so i ended up having suffering from like one wrist that started stopped feeling good and then both wrists and eventually i was just in full out chronic pain for a while i wasn't able to type Um, i was using braces i was using dictation software Um, i wasn't feeling too much pain when i played but it was a lot of stuff that was a really rough time i was sort of questioning all the things uh sort of any any backup careers that were there in the back of my head like maybe i'll go back and try doing mm-hmm. medicine or something at some point. This wasn't a, a real consideration, but it was just a realization that everything else I can't do, like I can't use a computer, which is a kind of, a, that's a pretty important thing now, mm-hmm. uh, for, for most everyone. Mm-hmm. I read every book that anyone threw at me that was sort of on, um, body awareness, body, like sort of a ha- posture, habits, um, stress, all the things. There was a constellation of books that ended up changing everything um which was great uh, unrelated none of them are sort of full-on snorting lavender and fields hippy dippy but they are pretty like they they don't subscribe to one of the the primary tenets of uh, or some of the primary tenets of um Allopathic medicine, Western medicine. And I majored in science or biology in, at a liberal arts college. So that admittedly is not much of a major. And you take like nine classes and you've got a degree. Um, my, both my parents are physicians. I, I, I had a certain reverence for science and continue to have that. I, I do believe in science and, and facts. That doesn't mean much these days. But um, those things do mean a lot to me. And the, sci- the scientific method of testing things. But there are things that if you go to a physician as a 24-year-old saying you have wrist pain and chronic pain, and they're like, oh, it could be, it's probably some carpal tunnel type thing happening. You can manage it, but this is going to be the case for the rest of your life. Like, as you age, this is just what happens. Mm-hmm. Your, your body is in pain. And that was extremely hard to hear. And what was the, the one thing that tied all of these books that helped together was the belief that the human body is, in fact, incredibly resilient. You just have to treat it correctly. And some of these are postural, like the um, Alexander Technique, um, Ego Skew Method is another one. Uh, Feldenkrais is one that has a lot to do with how you move your body. Um, There's a guy named John Sarno who deals a lot with, his is totally mental, like the mental side of stress and how that can physically manifest. And those four books, all the thing they have in common is just that you can change this, it's just it'll take some work because you have a lot of learned patterns, learned habits, learned ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm now totally pain-free, like doing everything I want with my hands, wrists, typing, doing all the things. And while I was in that place, Unable to type, etc. I was thinking about all the things I would like to do once my body got better. Like I would like to do handstands and like to do this and that and whatever. And so I started working on that stuff as soon as I started feeling better. So within the band, um, I don't have a terribly good ear, especially in comparison to the other guys who have, who are able to hear harmonies. Like they're able to sing and hear what other people are singing and tell them if it's wrong while it's happening. While I'm like focusing on just what I'm doing. And the other guys tend to do a lot of engineering. I tend to prefer sort of sitting in the kitchen and cooking and, like, providing food while recording is happening, which is a position I love playing. But one thing that I found that I am able to do at the level that the other guys can, and sometimes more effectively, is just, like, sit down, practice something for a long time, and then be able to play something that is technically very demanding. Um, and sometimes singing the part over that that doesn't make any sense. And there's no secret to it. I just do it all over and over and over. But I think that um, discipline is something that I have... Uh, I, have and that manifests in a few different ways but one that that's how I think I first picked up that like the discipline that I've exhibited in my like you know brief academic tenure as a college student or uh in booking or other things can translate to the physical too where you can teach your body to do things mm. and uh so I thought well what if I start doing like trying different things and like Teaching my body how to do things, I probably can manage that. And so I'm—I'm I'm not the quickest to like learn a physical skill, but I've found that I can pick stuff up pretty quickly. Which is, and it's, I've gotten into handstands and sort of cartwheels and working on flips and stuff like that, which has been really fun. I bought a slack line and playing with that. Um, my most recent endeavor has been learning how to play basketball, which I gave myself two years to do, and that's been totally enjoyable. And it's—it's it's getting better. So yeah, I'm—I'm like—I feel really good about how I can move now and. But it, t- it took a while to get to this point. It didn't involve being, excelling as a high school athlete or anything like that. Mm. It's something that sort of took a lot longer.
0: Your parents um, really wanted to, it sounds like they really Pushed and encouraged you to work really hard at everything you do. They enrolled you in music lessons when you were three years old. I'm wondering, like, how they treated music when you were growing up. And also, I read, I don't know so much about your dad, but I read that your mom, is her name Yoti? Yoti, yeah. Huh? Huh? Um, so it seems like she had, like, a really interesting evolution in her feelings about music, like, particularly your music. And how has that? evolution been like for you and also want to hear about where your dad stands on all this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, My parents have generally been super supportive of me and my brothers. So the context for music is comes from my, uh, largely has to do with my eldest brother who has a, I mentioned works um, at a Indian restaurant in Kansas City. He, when he was four, was diagnosed with a moderate learning disability, atypical pervasive developmental disorder uh, pervasive developmental disorder i think it falls somewhere on the autism spectrum the atypical part is that he's super social and loves hanging out with people so mm. much so that he can mimic and parrot the way that people talk and inflections to the point that you can't it takes sometimes a little bit of time for someone who just meets him to realize that there's he's operating on a different wavelength mm. <laughs> and um which was a uh, a source of great embarrassment to me and my younger brother when we were growing up and now is uh, something. Yeah, we, we are huge fans of them. It, it took, uh, a, a, as with anything that, that sets you and your family apart, it's something that, that um, takes some wrangling before you're, you're really comfy and happy with it. Um, but yeah, my older brother's wonderful. One bit of advice that my mother got when he was diagnosed was that, why don't you enroll him in music lessons? Because that kind of thing can help with a, another sort of form of development can be very helpful in, uh, in a number of ways. So my parents started, my big brother, on piano lessons, with piano lessons. And then my younger brother and I, when we were three, uh, my mother decided that we should jump into music too, regardless of what diagnoses did or didn't exist. And both of us were all, started on violin and it was, my parents have no, I think they like classical, they like jazz, they like Indian classical, they like all sorts of music, singer-songwriter stuff from when they were growing up. Um, no great love for the violin specifically, I don't think, in, in, among like all of the instruments one could play especially not children playing violin. I don't know if you've heard that, but it is a miserable, miserable sound. It's so bad (laughs) and it's bad for a long time. It really, it's, uh, the lack of frets really just makes it terrible. And so for my parents, it was a thing. I, I, I don't know whether we really got good enough to enjoy the playing, uh, until like several years in. So for the most part, it was a vehicle to sort of, uh, allow us to be well-rounded students. Um, my younger brother was better at sports than I was, but still there was the idea that is a, if you're going to go to a good American college and do all the things you need to, you need to have some extracurricular and cl- sports were not going to be a thing for me, as I explained a bit earlier with mm. my, uh, uh, lack of ability in, in cross-country tennis. So yeah, I played violin throughout my youth, had a pretty not great relationship with the instrument, didn't really want to be playing, but I played Suzuki method, which is all, um, by ear and involves a lot of parental participation. So my mother came to every lesson, like was there watching the whole time. Uh, my dad, nicely and sometimes not nice, nicely asked that I finish my practice before he get got home at night, so he didn't have to hear it. Which was thinking back, huh. really reasonable at the time. It was a little <laughs> bit like, well, fine, <laughs> but we weren't. Again, children playing violin is not it's not a pleasant thing. Yeah. So, um, but he came to all the concerts and like they would, they they you know allowed me to continue doing this thing that I didn't love doing either. It was like a thing that you need to do. And so I did it. There were a lot of things like that I think that can be a bit of an anomaly to kids who didn't grow up in immigrant households. The idea that your parents just make you do certain things, but uh, it felt totally natural to me and was what a lot of my Indian friends went through as well. It's just like, you do these things when you're living in our house, you're going to do the things. And then when you leave, you can figure out what you need to do. Mm. Over the course of college, I majored in biology, was not sure what I wanted to do, but was thinking about med school. I took the MCATs. They went well enough. My parents never pushed me in any specific academic direction. They were pretty open to anything.
0: But like, you could probably read the room as to what they wanted you to do.
1: Yeah. You know, I think once I, once I said that I'm interested in biology and was thinking about taking the MCATs, they got pretty excited just because it was a world they understood. The arts was one thing that was not on anyone's radar, not even mine, because I really didn't like playing the violin. I like got into songwriting in college and it was sort of a fun thing. I ended up Uh, getting a fellowship right after college to study music around the world for a year, what's called a Watson fellowship. And I got to study songwriting or not songwriting, but folk music in Ireland, Brazil, and Turkey, which was excellent. And over the course of that year decided maybe I want to try music when I get back. And that was a pretty difficult pill for my mom to swallow. Um, because I think I had gotten her, she had, she had been on the medicine train, was thinking like, this is going to happen. My dad was more supportive of it. I think largely because I had been doing a lot of writing over the course of, that year, just like journal style, but putting it up on a blog. And my dad is a, an avid reader, an excellent writer. He coached me and my brother to sort of get our writing up to par when we were in school and um, was really enjoying all of that and was just enjoying artistic output from it. He also paints and is, is, a, is a physician, but is sort of semi-retired now and paints as much as he can. Um, and is a wonderful painter too. So he was open, like excited about me pursuing in the arts or, or open to it. Whereas my mom, it took a little, a little longer, but I think once they saw that I was going to do it with the other guys in the band and that all of us were taking an extremely serious view of the whole thing, uh, and we're approaching it academically to some extent, or just, just like with, um, that we were serious about it, that turned her 180 and she was, has since been like our biggest supporter. I think we've never sold, like, our first show in Kansas city was the most merch we had ever sold because my mother was just bullying people into buying <laughs> things. Uh, and she, she teaches Indian cooking classes in Kansas city now and has been, uh, yeah, just our music is the only thing that plays during the classes while people are eating dinner and she hawks our stuff. She is, she is a massive supporter. Both my parents have, have, have been that, but, um, it took my mom a little bit longer to come around just, just because I think, the arts is a, I think it's a scary, can be a scary thing for any parents, especially when you, when their child plays with their heart a little bit and tells them they're going to be a doctor, physician, engineer, etc., mm-hmm. something that is a little more secure. Um, my dad gave me a, fu- a cool piece of advice too, which is that not to worry too much as things are starting out and like the perspective that if you go to med school, it is a good four plus three years of residency, et cetera, like seven, eight years before you're actually a doctor. With the arts, there's not necessarily anything that says, like, now you're a musician. You're sort of a musician when you start. But yeah. it can take a good, the better part of a decade to establish a career. And that was a really cool piece of advice. So, yeah, they're both now um, super supportive. But it w- wouldn't have happened without their support from the start. It just uh, there was a little bit of um, uh, hesitancy at the beginning, mm. for sure.
0: Nature has played a really big role in your Band darling side and also in your life, and you mentioned that you majored in biology at Williams College. Um, can you talk more about like when the natural world started playing an important role for you and what you find so compelling about science and nature?
1: I really like knowing how things work, but it's always been from a slightly more academic perspective. I never was taking things apart as a kid. I sort of, when I saw something that was whole, I left it there, but learning about how things work, um, especially in the biological slash chemical, physical, et cetera, that that was very interesting to me and continues to be a thing that I really like thinking about or knowing about. Uh, there's something very clean and easy to understand about the scientific method. Granted, it's not always so clean and easy to understand when experiments are done just because there are a lot of different things that can play with, or c- there can be many confounding factors. But... Just to, to be able to test something, anyone can test it, with this. And, and if you get the same results, that is a thing that is established. That said, I think the interesting point of, or the, the point that was most interesting to me with science in college was once you learn the basics, once you learn, and granted there's biology is a massive field, but once you learn the basics of one specific part, then you get into what people are actually experimenting with and testing with. It's sort of, t- you need to learn a certain language and then you can start playing around. And that, that's the experimentation side of things. It's not terribly dissimilar um, from many other endeavors. So something like English, for instance. Anyone can read a book that is lauded as, as, a, as a work of art or, or a classic, but oftentimes what makes it a classic in addition to its ability to, to hit someone without having any context is the, the tradition that it's drawing on and that a lot of English when you, when you study English in school, you are reading a lot of the classics such that you have a vocabulary and context to talk about what these other works are doing. And I think an analog with biology is you learn the basics of all of these functions and how things work such that you get to the fun part of where you can play with them. And so you read what people, like, contemporary experiments that are happening and read about, well, this is what they could have done better. This is what they could have done worse. And the same thing can be said for looking at, a, um, at novels, et cetera. That was the approach that I had had uh, in school, I tried taking one field botany course, and it didn 't go well some I, I was totally disinterested for me. Uh, a lot of the nature stuff or the my, my the resurgence in my interest in it um, occurred in the past couple years. I started dating my partner, Abby, who is a science writer and journalist and artist, and is extremely interested in the natural world and what 's happening right now and I realized that I had never paid even though I took this field botany class, I hadn't really paid any attention to trees or anything since then, and really not during that either. I like, did what I was supposed to do for the class. But, mm. And I think part of it was just time in my life. It was not a thing that I was ready to think about. Part of that, I attribute to, I'm, I was allergic to all sorts of stuff growing up. Still am allergic to a lot of things. And I, I hesitate to put this entirely on the middle class Indian culture, but the uh, what should be outside stays outside, what should be inside stays inside don't like the, never the twain shall will meet like and especially as an allergic kid my house family's house is pristinely clean all the time uh shoes off like no dirt anywhere it's just like you don't you and the, and don't touch stuff that's outside it's filthy you don't know where it's been like don't that's a butt put it down put the frog down put the like don't touch the stuff so i was never like down. in stream. yeah i was never in streams like playing with animals or looking at stuff it was very much it, that was not the case mm. and as an allergic kid too trees were the enemy trees were the things that ejected things and made me sneeze and feel really bad twice a year every year so I like it was just like stay outside I don't I'm gonna sit in my room and play the video games I'm not interested um yeah I didn't didn't really have much of an engagement with nature um once Abby and I started going on walks and I start she started pointing out things and I started getting curious about what this is what that is and how this works a lot of my interest involves what I can eat outside I'm I serious botanists probably think of that as the most vulgar way to interact with nature just like what can you put in your mouth but I'm I really like eating stuff and finding things outside is extremely exciting um I've read like this past summer uh, granted this is after the album uh, had been written but the the seeds of it were sown excuse the pun um <laughs> over the past couple of years and bought a few several foraging books and started reading some of those and have gotten really into it and over my last trip to Kansas City um to visit my parents my mom has been making a lot of jelly and and jam, uh, I got her to make some with crab apples that I picked off of some trees that were sitting around on our property that no one had picked before. And it was great. It was a really fun thing. But getting like my parents to sort of try some things that- it was
0: probably quite an exercise for her.
1: Yeah, um, it, it was. <laughs> um, yeah, and, but she, she loved it. She was, it was really fun. There's like nothing more local than things you're finding already growing that you don't have to garden. Uh, my, my relationship with nature and the natural world has changed a lot, um, even over the last couple of years. And over the, like, over the course of writing the album too, I think also, uh, a slightly more zoomed out perspective, just traveling around the country and experiencing different parts of, um, of the U S that have wildly different, uh, flora and fauna. And that is something that stays with you a little bit where you're, it's, it's a way of identifying place and feeling like you're somehow home or you're far from it, or you're at a exotic mm. new world, uh, that might only be a little, like a few hours from where you, where you live, um, can be a very cool thing. So. I think subconsciously there are probably a lot of things that we're imprinting there, but the, the most uh, explicit bit has been relatively recent and been extremely fun. I think quarantine also played into that where it was just like, I'm I'm here, so I might as well eat some shrubs.
0: Right. <laughs> Did you participate in this a cappella group? Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. I want to hear some more about how the band met in an acapella group? And then maybe how did that original connection of acapella help establish everyone's love of and ability to create these amazing harmonies?
1: Oh, thanks so much for the kind words. Um, so we, we were all in an acapella group together. That's not how we actually all first met. Uh, Dave and I were randomly paired together as freshman year roommates. We, were, we decided to both try out for acapella and the groups, and which is a big thing at Williams, there are only 2000 students on campus and at the time there were seven acapella groups which is that's a lot ludicrous. jeez it's so, it's yeah it's no frats allowed so instead we just <laughs> sing together softly uh so don was a sophomore in one group dave and i both got into that group and then harris was two years behind us uh and i first met harris uh, I, w- I was doing something for the freshman orientation where i was going to play um the mandolin and i just learned the mandolin so i was about to play the mandolin slightly shittily for a crowd of freshmen and uh i saw harris had an amplifier asked if i could borrow it and he said no that was our first interaction so um and then he tried out for the acapella group got in and we were all in that we were only in that group for one year so and, and there were and there were a bunch of other things that were happening on campus musically that we were interacting with around like the acapella group was one aspect of our interaction and Yes, our, our friendship certainly was, was um, bigger than just our interaction in the group. Uh, and, and frankly, we had different, very different relationship with the group. Dave and Don were both music directors at one point. Uh, so they were doing a lot of musical stuff. I wasn't that interested in the singing part of it after freshman year, probably just kind of kept doing it because my friends were in it. Didn't necessarily learn all my parts ever. It was, I was kind of not, I wasn't a great participant. Um, I was there, I, like, I showed up when I was supposed to. Yeah, didn't follow the old, if you're going to do it, do a really good job of it. I think at that point, I also realized that there are some, some of the other guys just have a remarkable ability to hear multiple things at once and sort of distill what's happening. I'm getting better at it, but it's taken me a long time um, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that came naturally to me. So once that subconsciously or consciously occurred, I think I was sort of just hanging on for the ride and it was fine. There was a year of break where I did, went abroad and did that fellowship studying, studying music um, for a year, came back. Basically, there was, there was a pause for two years on the band where we were sort of in touch but not, not working on it consistently. And then when Harris graduated in 2009, which is two years after Dave and I graduated, um, we moved into a house together, the four of us. We, we convinced Don to, to join um, from afar, and Sam, our drummer, was with us as well. And so uh, that first outfit had a lot of we, we weren't sure what kind of music we wanted to make, so we were trying all sorts of things. We knew we could all sing, but I think one of the hallmarks of, of the band is that we try everything, or we try to try as much as we can. And by that, I mean there are a lot of ideas that people throw out that are sometimes really bad, but we try to do all of them. And even when we have an idea that seems to work, we will flip-flop things. So um, And if make it we not like work. The idea of yeah, make it not work, or just see like, see what's best, or see what works best for the chord here. So if there's um, a lead vocal that we want two people to be singing with two harmony parts, we'll try two people singing the lead, and then two other people doing the harmony parts. See how that sounds. What if the harmony parts switch with each other? What if the two people sing a harmony switch to lead, and we switch it up, and seeing how different stacks of voices change. Uh, like If someone has a naturally lower range, Harris has a naturally low range, when he sings falsetto up high, it can be like a fog horn, extremely loud. Um, and so if we want that top part to really speak, we'll have him jump onto that. Whereas if we want it to sit, tuck in a little bit, we will not have him do that. And so there's, there's sort of a lot of playing with who, who sings what. And so the acapella plays into it just in that there was a willingness to try singing all the things or like knowing that all of us could sing and were interested in doing that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. We certainly didn't come at it from an acapella perspective. In fact, if anything, it was sort of like, we're done with acapella. Let's like. Let's play some instruments and, and we'll sing our parts too. But yeah, I I think it's it's um it's become part of the, the story, of course, and it, it certainly is a part of the story, but it what didn't feel sort of as um as formative necessarily. Like a, a lot of the sort of blend that we have now is something that didn't come directly out of college. You know, we were in a group with I think it was like twelve or thirteen of us, uh, so a bunch of other guys, and so the four of us were never singing just the four of us in college. There that we did, there wasn't any breakout group where we just did stuff just the four of us, um, so it's taken the 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 point we're at now has been a lot of work and experimentation since the band started over the like past decade basically.
0: Darling Side's sound is like beautiful, serious sounding, heavenly, but you know, off stage or even on stage, um, you guys don't take yourselves too seriously and are all really funny. Um, one great example I read about is the pre-performance chant. I don't know if you still do this or not when, when we are back to having live shows, the pre-performance chant of I'm the prettiest boy in harmony. Um, how does humor come into play in the band? Um, yeah, we, <laughs> I forgot about that pre-performance chant. I think
1: we did it for one tour and then stopped, but I'm glad it's lived on and press. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, we, um, yeah, I think humor has been a really important part of the band. Uh, we are, fortunately, uh, we continue to be really good friends. We were when we started, and and uh, our touring in spite of um, in spite of spending way too much time together hasn't dulled our fondness. It certainly has changed our desire to live together. We were living together in a house for the first few years, and we're all very glad we're not doing that mm. anymore. But within, when we're hanging out during rehearsal, there's a lot of joking, there's a lot of back and forth, and that didn't really translate to our stage performance uh, until we slimmed down from a five-piece to a four-piece. So when our drummer departed and we went from more of a rock, an indie rock band to a folk act, which was 2013 uh, maybe, somewhere in that vicinity, 20, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. Well, for, there were a lot of things that felt very different, like the four of us just hanging out, singing, and being able to hear each other without using monitor speakers. For those out in podcast world who don't know what that means, when you play with drums, you can't really hear yourself singing on stage or playing your instrument, so there are small speakers on stage pointed back at the performers. And that's what a sound check is often for where you'll get the level set so that you are hearing your voice coming through the microphone, going out and then coming back to, to you through a monitor speaker so that uh, your voice is amplified by that speaker so that you can hear it over the drums. So what people hear on stage is not what's coming through the main speakers, which is what the audience hears. Um, and that is, as it's, just as it sounds, kind of a roundabout way to hear your voice. Whereas when we started performing as a, as a four piece, uh, we could just hear each other on stage, which was such a cool thing. Um, but without that, it felt more like a living room hang. It felt like the way we rehearse, and it felt uh, like we should be doing more talking. Like it felt, it just felt like there should be more interaction between us and the audience because it felt more intimate, and it, and it was more intimate. When that happened, when we started talking more, there started being a little more joking around happening, and uh, and and I think bringing more of how we interact with each other off stage came on stage. Um, and so that it really feels like on stage is a sincere inter- set of interactions with us. Of course, there's an audience there, and um, but sometimes I learn stuff about the other guys that I didn't know on stage. And when that happens, we bring it up and we like we dig into it a little bit. And it's a really fun thing for us to. It, it feels very natural and authentic. And also because we're a band that that doesn't do a lot of do a lot by a lot of. I mean, any improvisation like art parts are pretty uh, not written but effectively written we don't actually write it on the page but there, um it's more in, in, in the classical vein of just like having every part fits together like an interlocking like an interlocking puzzle it's very fun to play the songs that we write but the spontaneity and and sort of surprise of the night often comes through the person to person the inter- interpersonal interactions we're having on stage and that um that really keeps things fresh for us so there are some nights where we are Less funny, perhaps on um, on more. There, you know, there's some some just slightly more sober evenings where we're telling some stories, but they tend not to be as funny. Um, there are other nights where we're really feeling a little more bombastic and things will be said. Um, but it's certainly an important part of our friendships, and uh, I'm really grateful that we get to bring that on stage too. I guess I'm most grateful that people appreciate it because it's very possible that we could bring our real interactions on stage and people would just be like, please don't do that again. Uh, Please stop. Yeah, don't, don't, no more. So, uh, yeah, I'm grateful that that is all the case.
0: Sweet. All right, the new album is Fish, Pond, Fish. And after listening to it a hundred thousand times. Oh, thank you so much. So good. Uh, Rhythm, I found, plays kind of a big role on the record, like not in every song, but it's cool how you guys use it, particularly I thought the segue between crystal caving and ocean bed was pretty rad. Um, and then also there are some very like emotional rhythmic dynamics on green. Is it green plus evergreen or green and evergreen? Yeah, gre- I, however you want to do It's great. <laughs> great. Um, what was the band's intention behind the use of the beat on the record? So before
1: we went in to record with Peter Katis, who's a producer for this one in, at a studio in Bridgeport, Connecticut, we Brought in a friend of ours named Ben Burns, who's a drummer, just because in playing around with some of the sounds and textures that we had experimented with le- over the course of writing demos for the album, we realized there was a lot of, there were some slightly more percussive feels we were excited to try out or play with. We did a lot less of that on the previous two albums, partially the first one just because it was sort of a split from our previous existence as an indie rock band. Um, so Bird Say came after that and we yeah just weren't doing as much with percussion i think percussive elements have always been something we've enjoyed and but they were it was often carried by things like the banjo or the mandolin chopping or violin chopping or or acoustic guitar chugging along but for this one we were thinking it would be fun to play with some slightly grander ideas or 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 things that pop a little bit more um so we came in and or ben came in for some demos and Just did an awesome job. There was a lot of stuff that um, some of the other guys had described to him as far as what we were looking for. And I remember just coming in and hearing Ben play and just being really psyched. We were playing with him just and miking him with just one, a single mic, miking his entire kit.
0: Okay. I don't know if you said this or someone else said it. I I bet you did. About writing. It's like you're searching through three-fourths of foreign consciousness, bringing you to a place you couldn't imagine. You move beyond yourself. Now, I, I know it's, like, out of context, but I feel like that was referring to, like, writing with your band members. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I
1: think, so for this album, every album has been a slightly different writing process just because the thing evolves and we kind of just keep keep playing with things, playing with ideas. And for this one, we ended up starting from a lyrical perspective or start, a lyrical starting point, wherein we did a lot of writing exercises And those writing exercises were designed, the ones we did are are just sort of meant to get you beyond your inner critic, where you just sort of ask to write down things and you just write and write and write. So if we were doing a two-person exercise, for instance, you would give me a movie title and I would then do a free associative prose bit on the movie title for half an hour. And I just, and I only have half an hour. So I'm just spewing stuff out of my head. I'm not. Are you writing or typing? I'm I'm typing. Sometimes writing, sometimes writing. Um, and then I send that prose back to you and you, your responsibility is to make verse out of it, versify it, uh, over the next half hour. So make a poem or lyrics to a song, but without setting it to music, or at least without giving any hint of what the music is, um, you, you make a verse out of it where it's sort of in, in, uh, in some sort of poetical form, you send it back to me and I set it to music. And this all happens pretty quickly. So no one's really thinking about, and there's no pressure. It's just like. Go, 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 go. And so by the end of this, with four guys, if everyone's handing it off to the next person, by the end you have four slightly shitty but maybe fun songs um, <laughs> and a bunch of, like, written material. And we keep all of it. – I'm sorry. I keep using the uh, SH word. Is that okay for this podcast or yeah. should I avoid? Yeah. I okay, mean, great. is your mom
0: going to listen? Does she care? She she has uh, – she's started to say shitty now, so that's nice. All right. I was going to say the F word earlier, but I was like, maybe your mom's going to listen. No, if she does,
1: you know, ma – it's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cindy's doing her best. Uh, You should feel free to do, you should should feel free to do what you need. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so we we did this for months. Uh, so we ended up having a Google drive full of all of these docs of just stuff that had been ejected from our minds, um, over the course of these writing exercises. Some of them are even weirder where one person, like you'll have 10 different, you're supposed to write 10 sentences that all that incorporate this word and that verb and this like, um, rhetorical device. And then, You write it across the paper, you cut the paper, tear the paper in half and exchange halves. And so you get two random halves paired with each other. And so you have these nonsensical sentences and you try to like make sense of those and turn them into verses
0: or like just... This sounds insane, this
1: process. It's totally weird. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, But again, it's it's even, it's to describe it as a process might do it too much of a favor. It's sort of like (laughs) us fooling around trying to get words on the pages that were, that are... and, And so these prose bits sometimes it's a story. Sometimes it's like a story of what happened to you that morning. Sometimes it's a frustration with your partner. Sometimes it's like how the pet bird like t- took it up in your shoe or wh- whatever. There's just like things that are happening in this. Um, and a, a lot of, a lot of the lyrics from the album, um, came from those exercises <laughs> or a lot of the, like, so we pulled what well, we have this massive amount of stuff. Most of it is trash, but there's a lot of stuff that's really fun or weird. And so we pulled some of those bits and so it's hard to trace who wrote what initially, because if I made a verse out of something you wrote, I didn't write it. You didn't write it. All. Like no one, neither of us wrote it. It was together. It, like, it wouldn't have happened unless the two of us were together. And so that is generally the case for like so much of the stuff of those, of, so, so much of those Google Docs and so much of what ended up becoming the album. And so it's really fun to pour through things where it's like, I had a hand in this, but just one quarter and I don't know. And so you're like looking for things that resonate, seeking like little bits of truth, however you want to put that. And that's a really fun process where you get to, you have this massive amount of stuff to, to tear through and take as you need or steal. And it's not even stealing cause it's, it's yours. Cause you made an agreement with your friends. <laughs> um, and so that was a really nice thing. And and that was how this album came together more so than ones we've done in the past.
0: That's great. It's a great record.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It, it was a lot of fun to, a lot of fun to write and we're, we're and it, like, there's so much changed when the pandemic hit too, certain things we were thinking about that definitely, um, Got twisted, or um, or just were felt in a very different way once uh, once isolation happened. Yeah.
0: All right, I want to talk to you about, um, or hear ta- hear you talk about the evolution of your physical appearance. Like looking at a picture. Not just of you, but like of Darling Side in 2013, is like way different than looking at a picture of Darling Side in 2020. And also, I guess like particularly your appearance has really evolved. You know, your hairstyle, your glasses, your clothing—like you have just um, really like come into yourself when it comes to like your your physical presentation. How have you felt about the evolution of that? of your physical appearance, and how do you use that to express yourself?
1: Oh, wow. Well, thanks for saying such nice things. Um, I didn't think about physical appearance really much at all growing up, outside of wishing I looked a little less different, I think. And certainly didn't, like, I, just one thing my family didn't really do was think about clothes, or what kind of clothes we were wearing, or what kind of clothes one should wear. And so that didn't really become a thing until maybe a little bit in college, but really once the band had to, once we had to sort of wear dress a certain way for shows or or decided we needed to, not even decided, but just like once we knew that shows were a thing that we needed to present ourselves somehow for. So I think really it's just that in 2013, I had only been sort of thinking about it for a relatively short time. I was trying to figure things out. Along with the other guys, we bounced a lot of ideas off each other, off of our partners, off of like what sort of feels good to wear and, and how you look. And I wore suspenders every show for the first classic yeah for the first several years um I think and there was actually a, there were, I, I got a lot of flack when I when I said I'm going to stop wearing suspenders really from the other guys even though they had nothing that they were doing similarly sort of steadily but they were like it's our look it's part of the thing and I was like I, I'm ready to not do that and it's been really fun to start exp- so I think breaking out of the suspenders thing was a big thing for me because I started doing other stuff like trying um wearing um just, like, draping cloth over myself that are, like, some scarves or whatever, just, like, trying different things, and some of which were not good, and other ones, (laughs) other of which were totally fun. But, yeah, I think at this point, um, I was, we were also, I think, more concerned about what everyone else in the band thought about what we were wearing earlier on, and now there's certainly, like, I want to know when the other guys hate or love something, but um, there's a little more freedom to sort of just, like, you do your thing, and that's cool, and we trust the aesthetic that, or we we trust that everyone is, is sort of, presenting with an aesthetic that they, um, are feeling good about. I think I probably, um, uh, am the most experimental with, within, with, with clothing. Um, I think the other guys appreciate that I try stuff, even though some, they don't necessarily love all of the things that I'm doing at any one time. Um, but yeah, it's been fun for me. I think it's still an exploration. I think, yeah, as far as how, how I express myself, I think I'm still figuring that out. I don't know. Yeah. I like a lot of times, I guess I found that I will wear things on stage that I wouldn't otherwise wear in my day to day life. And then once I wear it on stage a few times, it's like, I could wear this every day. This is fine. And it, it will become sort of part of, it become a thing that I start to wear otherwise. I tend to want to, like, I like exercising and doing things. And so during my, the bulk of my day to day, I'm wearing some sort of exercise clothing so that I can sort of be jumping in and out of stretching or working out or whatever.
0: Oh, you mean athleisure but, um, wear?
1: No, I don't have any athleisure wear. I just mean just, just workout, like just shorts but uh, yeah, actually, one piece I'm looking at right now is something that I'm really psyched about. I got a um, denim jacket uh, in, the, in the in the putting me firmly in the mold of, of um, Massachusetts folk, and uh, I noticed at Newport there were a bunch of folks who had Newport Folk Festival. There were a bunch of people who had really cool embroidered stuff on the back of their on, of their. Um, jackets and uh there's a company down in austin that does chain stitching i'm currently blanking on their name but it's a it's a really great company um and it turns out their chain stitching through the entire back of the, the um of a jacket is very expensive uh i learned when i consulted with them so i asked my dad who's a painter to paint something on the back of it for me and he painted a shell from um my grandmother's my grandfather and grandfather's home in um in delhi you uh, know like a cock shell oh, that's shell. sweet and um here i can i can uh, you might be able to oh, it over yeah. there. sorry it's a little far it's uh It looks a little bit like. That's right. A, um, thanks. Yeah, I really like it. He did. He did. A, he did a great job. And um, I think putting in little bits. Uh, I I think that's been something that I've really enjoyed doing is is including little bits of Indian flair into um, what I'm wearing. Uh, so occasionally there'll be like a kurta pajama. Um, uh, occasionally like that jacket is one of them. Um, Indian scarves. I've tried taking some of my mother's stuff, which she is. She's not psyched about me wearing um, too many of her things. There's some ways in which she is a, a more of a traditionalist, but mm. um, I intend to take some of it at some point and, and wear it on stage just because Indian women's wear is really, really cool. Um, but uh, there, there, there's just a lot more fun stuff happening than within the men's wear world.
0: All right. Oyan Mukherjee of Darling Side, mm-hmm. new album, Fish Pond Fish. One more thing before we go. Okay, what we're going to do now is something called the lightning round. Okay. Are you ready for some fun?
1: Is that, I have to answer quickly. Is that correct?
0: Yes, and no lies. Oh
1: Wait, I haven't been lying this whole time. Why are you specifying no lies now? What, what is that supposed to
0: mean? Have you been lying? <laughs> I mean, I haven't <laughs> been lying either. So I, okay, all good. Right, I guess great. we're good. Yes. But... No lies for you either. Okay, yeah, great. Fine. okay, here we go. First of all, do you play the guitar? I'm learning. What was the first song you learned on the guitar?
1: Oh, so I actually had a year of guitar lessons when I was in high school. And the riff, the, the, the first riff that I learned was uh, the kids aren't, the, the opening riff for The Kids Aren't Alright by The Offspring. And we actually got to meet um, Noodles, the offspring guitarist at a Brandi Carlisle show that we opened up uh, for her at. Uh, in LA a few years back and he said he liked our music which is a really cool full circle thing oh
0: man that's amazing
1: that wasn't very lightning like what I just did I'm sorry we can I'll go faster
0: it's fine just don't do it again I won't okay what is your karaoke song
1: I don't have a karaoke song I don't think I uh, I, maybe something by the Google Dolls slide oh that's good alright that's a good one
0: okay dogs or cats or something else dogs what is your coffee order
1: Depends on the shop. If it's a good place, then a uh, macchiato. If it's some place that isn't as good, I will probably forgo.
0: Favorite U.S. city?
1: Oh. Uh, i probably have the most love for
0: Kansas City. First album you bought with your own money?
1: Um... It was either that Offspring album that has the kids on "Alright" on it, or a Sugar Ray album—the Ooh. The one that had "Every Morning." I don't know the name of the album.
0: Gosh, you came of age in the late '90s, early 2000s, huh?
1: That's when I start started yeah. buying things for myself. It's a tough yeah.
0: time. I'm a few years <laughs> older than you, and I think uh-huh. I just missed my first. My first album was Alanis Morissette. So oh, that's good. I, but like a couple years later, probably it would have been like Corn. or something. Anyways, Mm -hmm. first concert.
1: Um, I didn't really go to any concerts as a kid. Or music festivals.
0: Have you ever been to a concert?
1: Yeah, but I, as far as the first one, I'm trying to think of when (laughs) that would have been. Like when, maybe it was in college? Uh, Maybe like, uh, Guster? Guster,
0: question mark? (laughs) I don't, yeah. What is the last book you read? Um,
1: uh, P.G. Woodhouse, um, one of the, one of the ones about Bertie Worcester. I think it's, um, something that has Jeeves in the title, but I don't know (laughs) the full name.
0: Nice. Flying or Invisibility? Flying. Star Trek or Star Wars. Wars. Last question: Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, uh,
1: um, I can't speak absolutely, but relatively recently, I was in Acadia in Maine, and it's very nice there.
0: Cool. Good answer. New England central.
1: New England central. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. That's it. That's the lightning awesome. round. You have done it. You've answered all my questions. And you, I did it. You did a great job. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Basic Folk this week was produced by Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Basic Folk is proud to be on the American Songwriters Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy House. If you liked this podcast, that's great. Big thumbs up to you Please share it with a friend uh, or a family member who you think might enjoy. Subscribe, rate, review, all that. You can follow us on social media. Find us wherever you get podcasts and at my website, cindyhouse.net. And we will talk to you next time on Basic Folk. Okay, Mm, bye.